managing editor and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 12 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio by myself, guys. By myself. This has been quite some time. See? And that happens all the time. But it's been quite some time since I was in here by myself. And this is one of those times now. So I'm in here now. And again, I will bring you guys your regular regularly anticipated regularly scheduled talk that talk program i'm excited i'm excited i'm excited because i don't have a second person here third person all of, all of the above then that means that more sports will be discussed i don't have anybody to kind of banter with and go back and forth with so this means more Sports talk for you guys. We're going to hop right into it. The only way that we know how, especially on a Sunday, we have these scores updating right now. And or uploading, I should say. We have a lot to get to today. But before we do any of that, we are in week 10 of the NFL. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are in week 10 of the NFL. If you've been under a rock and you have been unaware as to the game on Thursday. Thursday night's game was the Miami Dolphins at home. Yes, Salim's Miami Dolphins. And they won their second straight game. And they beat, shout out to Duna, Mr. Deontay Hagler. They beat Duna's team, the Baltimore Ravens. I'll be honest, guys. I, I text the group chat afterwards, and and we we discussed kind of the game. And everybody made their picks. And I believe even Salim picked the Baltimore Ravens. And following the game, I, I might have been the one who was least surprised in the group, despite me even picking the Ravens as well. Only because I texted the group and I said home, the home stadium for the Miami Dolphins is venue to one, at least one, top-tier quarterbacks, worst game of the season. It never failed. We saw for so many years that it was Tom Brady who would be having a magnificent season, go down to Miami, and even if New England pulled out the game, it wasn't easy. So we saw that on Thursday night. The Miami Dolphins won their second straight game. That score was 22-10. to 10. So let's talk about today's game. Let's talk about Sunday's games. All of these games are in the third quarter as of now, at one point or another in the third quarter. Let's talk about this Washington football team who started this game up 13-0 to to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have started this season 6-2. Ironically enough, both of their losses have happened on the road. This game is in Washington. Bad news for the Washington football teams. It appears that number two overall pick from last season, Chase Young, They fear that he may have torn his ACL. We will be waiting to hear more from that. We'll see if the Detroit Lions can hold off. They're on the road as well. They're up 16-13 right now to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's see if they can get their first win of the year. They are sitting at 0-8 on the year. First-year head coach Dan Campbell. First-year quarterback for the Detroit Lions, Jared Goff. All 
looking for their first win in the Motor City. This team hasn't had to worry have haven't excuse me. This team hasn't had to worry about getting their first win because they did that a long time ago. However, they do need a much needed win, and that's the Buffalo Bills. They're at MetLife right now. They're up big on the New York Jets, 31 to 3. That game has a little under 11 minutes to go in the third quarter. Another game that's really, really lopsided. You could also stay in the AFC East because it happens to be Bill Belichick and those pesky New England Patriots. And something told me that this was going to be a game where the New England Patriots were going to frustrate Baker Mayfield and keep him from uh, being successful almost at all. And again, we have two minutes to go in this third quarter. And the New England Patriots are up 31-3 on Baker Mayfield at home in Foxborough. Another double-digit lead. We, I think all of these, the rest of these games, the, the rest of the way are all double-digit leads. These games are actually pretty close in terms of uh, comparisons because the Jacksonville Jaguars are down 20-9 to to the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts, if they secure this win, will be 5-5 five and five on the season. Yes, back to 500. In addition to that, the Tennessee Titans are up 20-6 to on the New Orleans Saints. That game is a home game for the Tennessee Titans as well. If they win, they will be 8-2 on the season. Both of those games are in the third quarter. About halfway to go in, the, in Tennessee and about a little under 11 minutes ago. I think 10.55 to be specific in Indianapolis. Lastly, my dad's team, my father's team, of course, we got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys up big right now. Probably lost the game last week that they shouldn't have lost to the Denver Broncos, but that's the way the National Football League goes. And these Cowboys are up now 36-3 to after scoring 29 points in the second quarter. Yes, guys, you just heard that right. That was 29 points in the second quarter. So, I want to get to my mom's tip in. She sent me two, and I like both of these, actually. I like this one. They say you should aim for the stars because even if you fall, you will fall in the clouds. Those people will reach the clouds, but they'll never reach the stars. If you want success, you need to be the one shooting for Mars, then Jupiter, then another galaxy. The only limits, excuse me, the only limits we have are the ones we put on ourselves. As I often do, even though this one was a little long-winded, I am going to read this one again. They say you should aim for the stars because even if you fall, you'll fall in the clouds. Those people will reach for the clouds, but they'll never reach the stars. If you want success, you need to be the one shooting for Mars, then Jupiter, and then another galaxy. The only limits we have are the ones we put on ourselves. Shout out to my mom. Thank you for that one. I appreciate you for that one. I have a, 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 a lot to get to today. I'm, I will let you guys know about week 10 as it's unfolding around the National Football League. You did not hear the Las Vegas Raiders because the Raiders are not playing right now. The Raiders do play today. However, it's at the 1 o'clock game. So that only leaves one slot for them. I will get to that uh, in the second hour. In the second hour, we will get to the Raiders. But this first hour is going to be dominated by my alma mater, UNLV. Now, here's the thing. UNLV football 
following their last win, and this was their first win in 706 days, and this was a win against New Mexico. So, UNLV gets that win against New Mexico. They go to 1-8 on the year, 1-4 in the Mountain West Conference. After the win, they tweeted out a picture about the win, obviously, like most programs do. And the hashtag was stack them. I came in here right away and said, are we talking about stacking wins? And the reason why I said that is because obviously we, we've talked for so long about this team and this program struggling in ways that a lot of a lot of us found unimaginable. Needless to say, UNLV stacked two wins. UNLV has two back-to-back wins. They have back-to-back wins for the first time since head coach Tony Sanchez in his last two games with the with the university. So you take last week's win, and then you fast forward to this week. Charles Williams played a big role last week in the win against New Mexico. You would assume that if the team won again, that he would have to be pivotal in that game as well. You guys are absolutely right. As a matter of fact, I have multiple tweets in my phone that I'm going to read off revolving around Chuck Williams' day. Yes, we're talking about Charles Williams, UNLV's all-time leading rusher. But Charles Williams, the first stat that I want to give you guys, Charles Williams carried the ball 38 times yesterday. That is a new school record. The previous school record was held by Icky Woods. And I believe, if I recall correctly, I believe it was 34 that was his. That record stood until last night when Charles Williams carried the ball 38 times. He tallied 266 yards and three touchdowns along the way. Now... That first touchdown that Charles scored, that was his 11th of the season. That tied a career high with 11 touchdowns on the season, rushing touchdowns that is, and he has 30 for his career. Charles Williams... In addition to that, for the second time in his career, eclipsed the 200-yard mark. In addition to that, 
In the first quarter of last night's game, Charles Williams moved past Jay Ajayi on the Mountain West career rushing list. Jay Ajayi was number four on that list. Number four now solely belongs to the chuck wagon, Charles Williams. And if you guys are unfamiliar, Jay Ajayi is a Boise State Bronco product. So when Chuck scored his second touchdown later on in that in that game, it set a new career high for him. Moreover than that, at the 160, or excuse me, 196 mark, 196 yard mark, I should say, UNLV tweeted out something that said the Chuck Wagon is going off today. His 196 yards make him just the fourth. One, two, three, and four. He is the fourth UNLV player to post not one, but 2,000-yard rushing seasons in a career. Can you guess the other three? The other three are Tim Cornette, Lexington Thomas, and Mike Thomas. Of course, no relation. Charles Williams is now number four on that list. Charles Williams had a couple of big rushes throughout the game, obviously, as you would expect somebody to have with 266 yards. Charles Williams, as a matter of fact, had a 64-yard run. And I want to make sure I get this right. Where is it at? Yeah, there it is. A 64-yard run on the first play of the second half. First play of the second half, and he gets UNLV down to the 22-yard line on one play. And when he scored that second touchdown, that gave UNLV their first lead of the game. Keep in mind, in, ca in case you guys were watching the game yesterday, there was a point in time when UNLV was down 10-7. to 7. UNLV won this game 27-13. to 13. UNLV went on a 13-0 to 0 run at one point during last night's game. Or yesterday's game, I should say. I say that because UNLV had a busy day yesterday, all the way around. I'll get to all of them as we speak. There's four things to get to. Another thing that I don't have on here that I do want to make sure that I that I acknowledge right now. Rebel Hockey got another win last night. So I want to highlight Rebel Hockey. Busy day in the Valley yesterday. For, all, for, for anybody that doesn't believe that Las Vegas is becoming a sports town, these are the instances where, they may, where you may be proven wrong. 
So I talked about the good in terms of Charles Williams, but it wasn't that great for the man under center to start the game. Freshman quarterback Cameron Frill had three turnovers in the first quarter. He had three turnovers in the game, but he had three turnovers, all three of those turnovers in the first quarter. Two interceptions, excuse me, two interceptions. And a fumble. Now, head coach Marcus Arroyo talked a little bit after the game, and he highlighted that one thing that the that him, I guess himself and the coaching staff has been preaching about Cameron Frill since they've had the opportunity to speak about him is his toughness. I think one thing that Marcus Arroyo alluded to yesterday that was really interesting was he's always talked about Cameron Frill's toughness. Yesterday, he pointed to how mentally tough he had to be. Sorry, guys. So, he has three turnovers. In a game where UNLV actually falls behind 10 to 7 at the end of the quarter. At the end of the first quarter, Cameron Frill had a stat line of 3 for 5 for 48 yards with his two incompletions not even being incompletions. They were both interceptions. However, anytime this offense needed it, anytime this program needs it, I, sh- I can't say that. Let me not say that. Every time this offense needed, or anytime this offense needs, Charles Williams is usually the one that gets everybody going. Same thing happened in the second quarter. In addition to that, Chuck went over 100 yards in the second quarter. That's the 14th 100-yard game of his career. It's another interesting stat for you guys. But the defense came up big when needed, mainly by two interceptions from Ricky Johnson. Coming into this game, Ricky Johnson had zero career interceptions. Zero career interceptions, and he comes into UNLV's second win of the season, their first win in Allegiant Stadium, mind you guys. First win in Allegiant Stadium. Now, oh, sorry about that, guys. I wanted to give you guys both numbers on uh, Kyle Williams and Steve Jenkins while we were talking about Cameron Frill. 
He finished the game 15 for 25, 172 yards, two interceptions. Kyle Williams and Steve Jenkins both continue to be his biggest targets, both with three receptions. Kyle Williams, his three receptions went for 73 yards. Jenkins went for 67. So between those two, you have 140 of Cameron Frills, 172 yards. But as I said before, the defense came up big when they needed to in that second quarter with the team down. Where am I at with it? That's 10 to 7. There we go. There we go. Yeah, with the team ta- with the team down 10 to 7, Ricky Johnson got his first interception on a Hawaii third and seven. Ricky Johnson would eventually get the game ceiling interception in the fourth quarter with UNLV up two scores. That interception came in the end zone. There was a big fourth down stop with two minutes and eight seconds left on a fourth and three. UNLV's defense was stout. Stopped the Rainbow Warriors short of the line of the game. And that actually set up a 47-yard touchdown run by Charles Williams. After the game, Chuck and myself, we were talking, and uh, <laughs> I, I told him what I found so interesting about his situation is obviously – we know that he has a support system. A support system. Following the game, he mentioned his daughter. And I told him the thing that's interesting to me is as he's going and breaking all of these records and doing all of these things and, and, and setting setting these new heights for UNLV running backs, one of the biggest supporters that Charles William had, Williams has is Lexington Thomas. So Lexington Thomas is we, – we, we talk all the time about being cheerleaders for your teammates. And that's exactly what Charles William ha- Charles Williams, excuse me, has in Lex Thomas. When I told him that after the game yesterday, he he agreed. He said, "I know Lex is going to be mad at me for getting hawked a couple of times." Now, if you guys don't know what that means, getting hawked just simply means that it appears that you have a touchdown until a defender catches up to you and tackles you. So upon him saying that, obviously me and Chuck, we got a good laugh about it. I text Lex not too not too long after that, and I told him, made him aware of the conversation. Almost immediately, he let me in on something, and he said, "Oh, it's on Twitter already." Hmm. 
I go to Twitter. I go to look. And sure enough, Lex tweeted during the game that Charles was lucky that he wasn't on the sideline because you already know. I have been on those sidelines before with those two gentlemen. There has not been a lie told. <laughs> those guys' relationship, those guys' dynamic is unique. And uh, I'm not sure when we'll see another one like it. I'll be honest with you. Those guys are really close, both at the top of their craft. And... Both in, in high support and in high regards of one another. Where am I at? Okay, cool. We already talked about fourth down, that fourth and, that fourth and three. Marcus Arroyo also made a, a very good point last night, or at least yesterday. And he mentioned how he divvied up. The recognition after the game. And if, in case you guys are unfamiliar, this UNLV-Hawaii rivalry dates back to 1969. It is the Ninth Island Showdown. It is for the Golden Pineapple. And it is back in the possession of UNLV for the first time since 2017. After the game, Marcus Arroyo said that the pineapple went to the defense and the game ball went to the offensive line. Once again, head coach Marcus Arroyo said that the pineapple, the golden pineapple, the ninth island showdown trophy went to the defense while the game ball indeed went to the offensive line. We'll see if the team can continue its winning ways with its final home game of the season. Yes, guys, the final home game of the season. It has already approached. It is less than a week away now. It is on Friday. My birthday, ironically enough. Friday, November 19th at 8.30 p.m. Catch me at Allegiant Stadium. San Diego State is the final home game of the season for UNLV. UNLV will be looking for their third straight win. Speaking of three straight wins, UNLV Athletics got four yesterday because while UNLV football was playing, the UNLV Lady Rebels were playing over at the Thomas and Mack Center. To give you guys just a snapshot of everything that happened, the city of Vegas had UFC Vegas 42, headlined by greatest featherweight of all time, Max Holloway, against dangerous kicker, Yair Rodriguez. So you had that going on at the Apex. 
You had the Lady Rebels playing at 1 p.m. at the Thomas and Mack Center. You had UNLV football simultaneously playing at Allegiant Stadium at 1 p.m. And then you had UNLV men's basketball that played at 5. Before all of those things took place, UNLV volleyball was in action. And if you guys know about my favorite teams on this campus, this is my favorite team on this campus. If you've ever been around a volleyball group, impossible not to feel the excitement that they carry with them. Impossible. So they were at Air Force, and they beat Air Force 3-1. to one. Those numbers were 27-25. to 25. They lost the second set, 23 to 25, and then they won the last two, 25 to 19 and 27 to 25 again. Later on in the day, after needing help, I believe, from Boise State, the UNLV volleyball team clinched the spot in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, guaranteeing that they'll be a top six seed, or excuse me, a top six finisher. In the conference. I believe as of now, shout to Alex Wright, I believe they are fourth in the conference. Shout out to UNLV Scarlet and Gray, Free Press Editor-in-Chief Alex Wright. Former sports editor. So that's a win for all sports gods. Trust me. So now you have the women's game that's taking place. At the Thomas and Mac. It's their home opener after a road win at Oral Roberts. And keep in mind, guys, I believe we mentioned this earlier as well, or at least I mentioned this earlier as well. Uh, because I'm the only one in the studio today, we're going to try to get as close as we can to two hours, but we shall see how uh, things shake out. How things shake out and shape up, I guess we'll say. The rest of these games are also heading into the fourth quarter, so we'll get you guys an update on, I would say, probably right before the 1 o'clock hour, we should give you guys updates on all of the NFL's happenings from Week 10 around the NFL. So, you get the Lady Rebels in their home opener. They're playing the Montana State Bobcats. And when I tell you guys it was pure domination, it was pure domination. I have in my notes here that Desiree Young started it and Essence Booker finished it. What I simply mean by that is exactly what it sounds like, guys. Desiree Young was the force at the beginning of the game. We'll get into specifics right now. UNLV had a bit of a hiccup in the second quarter. But by the third quarter, the game was firmly in control thanks to the hot shooting of Essence Booker. So, let's start with Desiree. Desiree Young scored the first seven points of the game for UNLV. In addition to that, she scored the first nine of the team's 11 Excuse me, she scored nine of the team's first 11, I should say. 
keep in mind, guys, this change in college basketball a couple of years back where the women games, the women's games went to four quarters as opposed to two halves. So in that first 10 minutes, UNLV absolutely dominated, building a lead as large as 14 points. Desiree Young had two and one finishes. Finished that first quarter, that first 12 minutes, 10 minutes, I should say, with 12 points. UNLV was up 18 to 4, guys. 18 to 4 after the first 10 minutes of play. Desiree Young had zero points in the second quarter. As UNLV had some sloppy play, I believe Lindy LaRock said post-game that they had three straight turnovers coming out of uh, the second, coming out of the first quarter buzzer, I should say. Am I right? I want to say intermission. I'm not at the Vegas Go tonight spot yet, so I don't know why I did that. But nevertheless, after that first quarter, Lindy LaRock highlighted that her team came out sluggish. Sloppy. Her team came off something other than what she's used to. It caught up with him a little bit as the lead was cut down to eight. And then shortly thereafter, it was back up to 14. And then eventually 16. And then eventually 19. There was an 11-0 run in that second quarter by UNLV to take back a strong control, a strong hold of this lead, of this game. Essence Booker hit a three-pointer in the midst of that 11-0 run that forced the timeout where UNLV was up 35-19 to on the Bobcats. Essence Booker kept that high shooting going. When she got into double figures in the third quarter on an and-one basket, pushing the UNLV lead up to 20 points. That lead would grow to as large as 33 in the third quarter and 41 in the fourth. Essence Booker finished the game with 19 points, four rebounds, four assists. She also did so shooting four of five from three-point range. As a team, UNLV shot over 46% from the field while holding Montana State to just 31.1. In addition to that, Montana State, the Bobcats, they had six assists on 19 made field goals. Just no offensive rhythm, nowhere to kind of breathe and, and, and kind of try to get their, their, their laurels together. They couldn't really do it because of the defensive pressure from UNLV. Speaking of the pressure... Running out on shooters, closing out on shooters was, was a point of emphasis, obviously, for this UNLV team. Of the 15 three-pointers that the Bobcats took, only one fell for the team. While on the other end, UNLV shot 17 threes and completed, or knocked down, I should say, con connected on eight of those. So UNLV went eight of 17 from three-point range while holding Montana State to just one of 15. Two more major stats kind of tell this story in terms of pure domination. Let's look at the rebounds. And I need to triple check my game, my, my, my quarter by quarter stats. Because the overall rebounding numbers for UNLV is plus 23 because they ended up winning the rebounding battle 52 to 29. 
They won the rebounding battle 52 to 29. They won the offensive rebounding battle 21 to 12. The reason why I need to check my game or my quarter by quarter stats is because if I recall correctly, I believe UNLV, the Lady Rebels, had 12 offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter alone. The reason why that doesn't confuse me is because there was a point in time where UNLV in that fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure they had five straight shots at the basket after four offensive rebounds. Last but not least, I think you guys can tell by the way that the game started, 18-4 at the end of the first 10 minutes. Montana State never led in this ballgame. The Lady Rebels are now 2-0 for the first time since 2017-2018. Keep in mind, guys, this team went 15. Matter of fact, let me pull up all of these numbers. No, you can stop. Cool. So this team went 15-9 and nine last year. But this team was 2-4 and four in non-conference play. They were 2-4. and four. More than that, this team was 6-9 and nine at home. I told those stats in an interesting way, but ultimately it all boils down to the same thing. This UNLV team last year, as the number two seed after the regular season had concluded, with an overall record of 15 and 9, went 30, went 13 and 5 in conference and 9 and 0 on the road. I know that we're early in this year, guys. But if head coach Lindy LaRock can keep this UNLV Lady Rebels team moving in the right direction through non-conference play, so I'm looking at nine. So they have nine more non-conference games. The next one is this Wednesday at Northern Arizona. Tip-off is set for 5 p.m. in that one. But if this team can put up a good number in non-conference play, who knows what can happen? Who knows? To close out their non-conference schedule, I'll give you guys all of those games. It's at Northern Illinois, or excuse me, at Northern Arizona. That's the game I just informed you guys about. So it's at NAU, and that is Wednesday, November 17th, 5 p.m. They have three home games after that. The latter two 
are a part of the UNLV Thanksgiving Classic, which will take place the Saturday after Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So those three home games are against Southern Utah, UT Arlington. Yes, the University of Texas Arlington. The Mavericks. And then the third one is the Grambling State. Basketball team. Is it the jacket? What is the Gram? I think I want to figure that out if I can. It's the Tigers. I don't know why I was thinking about something else. I know exactly what I was thinking about, and I won't say it because nobody's here to laugh with me. <laughs> Following those games, they have three more away from UNLV. That will be at Utah Valley, at Cal State University Bakersfield, and then a game against Texas Tech in Texas, but I believe it will be on a neutral site. And then there's two more games, both home games, before Mountain West play starts on December 28th at Fresno. And those games are home against Pacific and home against Hawaii. Like I said, non-conference play wraps up on December 21st. Mountain West conference play starts on December 28th. Let's talk about another team that's 2-0 for the first time since 2017-18. And that would be the men's side of UNLV basketball. I'm excited to see what Salim has to say the next time he comes in here because, like he said before, this is not something that you're used to. You're not used to seeing multiple UNLV teams winning at once. It just doesn't happen. And no disrespect to these sports, but if it is, it's golf and tennis. Volleyball and baseball, like, it's just things that most people aren't, Running to first and foremost. Shout out to Coach Stan from UNLV Baseball. But staying with the topic here, UNLV Basketball had a, a, a defensive showing last night that caught nearly everybody by surprise when they beat the Cal Golden Bears of the Pac-12 55-52. That is the second Power five win for this program in the last two seasons. Of course, last season was a, was a road win against Kansas State. Only because I don't want to forget, I'm going to tell you guys this now, and this is not the way I typically want to start this, but I'm not sure how good Cal is going to be this year. While that does nothing for UNLV in terms of they did their job. They took care of a win against a, a Pac-12 team that is early in the year. It caught some people's attention. No doubt. Yet, later on last year, after UNLV had beat Kansas State, Kansas State ended up losing to a Division three school, or Division two school, excuse me. That made UNLV's win earlier in the year look a little different. So, this time around, three-point win against a Pac-12 team, Cal. What if Cal is one of the two teams to finish in the bottom of the Pac-12? That win would look a little different for UNLV at the end of the season or at least later in the season. However, the team can only deal with what they're dealing with now, and what they are dealing with is a first-year head coach that has not lost the game yet. He's two games in, he's two up and no down. 
two up and zero down. However you want to slice it, but defense did lead the, lead the day. Holding the Golden Bears to four points over the last four minutes of the ball game. Second straight game that Bryce Hamilton kind of struggled early. Picked it up later as the game went on because he had five points for majority of the game. I believe it was five points in the first 24 minutes. So Bryce put up five points in the first 24 minutes on the floor. And then... <laughs> over the last six or so... say five or so Bryce scored five more points over the next two and a half minute stretch this included hitting a three-pointer a clutch three-pointer when the game was tied at 46 which was the last tie of the game So Bryce Hamilton comes up big once again when UNLV needs him. But more than that, the team got Jordan McCabe back. Transferred from West Virginia. And thus, the return of the three-guard lineup for UNLV, the three-point guard lineup where you would see Marvin Coleman out there with Jordan McCabe with Mike Nuga. Or throw Bryce in that mix. How about throw Keyshawn Gilbert in that mix? If you guys are unsure of who that is, Keyshawn Gilbert is a rookie. I said a rookie. <laughs> a freshman on this running Rebel team. He's a freshman. In the words of Jordan McCabe, the kid's a dog. So you have guard play that leads the day for UNLV on the back end of great defense. And this comes after Royce Ham posted 18 points, 17 rebounds, three blocks in his first game with UNLV last game, their season opener, only for him to come into this game and deal with foul trouble. So UNLV won a close game through defense despite foul trouble against a Power 5 school. These are some of the things that UNLV can hang their hat on regardless of how Cal finishes the rest of the season. Head coach Kevin Kruger actually credited Donovan Williams, another transfer, for being forced into the interior 
defensive position after Royce Hand was dealing with foul trouble. Keep in mind, similar to the UNLV Lady Rebels, this running Rebel team is 2-0 for the first time since the 2017-18 season. They will look for 3-0 tomorrow night, actually. Right back in action tomorrow night, 7 p.m. from the Thomas and Mack Center against North Dakota State. This North Dakota game would have looked a lot different <laughs> if TJ was here, considering where he was coming from in terms of South Dakota State. So, speaking of TJ, speaking of TJ Otzelberger, I didn't mention it on Wednesday, but I really, really wanted to, and it just got by me. So, I'll mention it today, because Iowa State, where TJ Otzelberger is back now, now as the the lead man, Iowa State is 2-0 as well. Why am I telling you guys this? Because TJ Osselberger took over a program that was 2-22 last season. In two games, he has matched their season win total from last season. These are the reasons why previously, even if we didn't like the way that it turned out and or the way that he went about it, this was a no-brainer for TJ to take this job, right? Let's move on. If TJ wins 10 games this year, he did it five times better than whoever than who, the coach that was and and the whoever staff was there last year. I know we I said the name when uh and the name is escaping me right now. It's actually bothering me. But uh I said the name when the news actually broke. It's escaping me now. I just thought it'd be interesting to let you guys know that update. Speaking of updates, let's give you guys some other updates. These games around the National Football League are taking place. None have finished just yet, but we have all of them winding down to a close. We have a close one. Those two games that were 20 to 9 and 20 to 6, they're tightening up at least just a little bit. The Tennessee Titans hold a 23 to 15 lead. Yes, that is one possession at its eight points over the New Orleans Saints. Playing without Jameis Winston, keep in mind, guys, playing without Jameis Winston, who tore his ACL. The New Orleans Saints have the ball. They're driving. They're at the Tennessee 34 yard line. Three and a half left to go in that game. We also have a one-possession game in Indianapolis, except that game is separated by three points. Three-point game now in Jacksonville. 17 to 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the opposite end of that game. The Indianapolis coach do have the ball with under 10 minutes to go in that game, and they are at their own 30-yard line. We'll see if anything happens. Uh, it's looking like the screen, a screen pass just went in the opposite direction for the Indianapolis Colts, and now they will line up to punt, I'm pretty sure. Well, it's got to be under nine minutes to go now 
and they're going to put the ball back to the Jacksonville Jaguars, looking to either tie the game or take the lead. We'll see. Two teams that put up 40, at least right now. We'll see if anybody else will. The Cowboys are up 43-3. to Yes, guys, you guys heard that correctly. The Dallas Cowboys are up 43-3 to on the Atlanta Falcons. The other team that's put up 40 have actually put up more, and that's 45. The Cleveland Browns have allowed 45 to Mac Jones and company in Foxborough. While only putting up seven on the opposite end, the Cleveland Browns are down 45-7 to seven with about two and a half to go in the in regulation from New England. This other game, we'll see if they get to 40, but the Buffalo Bills are headed towards their sixth win of the season. Their sixth win in 10 weeks. They will be 6-3 and three once this game concludes, unless Mike White can cut on some, some uh, heroics and lead the New York Jets back from this huge deficit, but they are down with about eight minutes to go in the game, 38-10. to 10. In addition to that, I think this game has might, might have just been sewn up on a game-winning rushing – well, I shouldn't say game-winning, but on a rushing touchdown by Antonio Gibson. The Washington football team, without Chase, Williams, Chase Young, excuse me, who may have gone down, the fear teams the, – the, the team fears, rather, may have gone down with an ACL tear but they may be heading into week 11 with the win over the defending Super Bowl champions, 29-19 and 19 as of right now with 29 seconds to go. Keep in mind, guys, en route to Tom Brady's seventh championship, a stop in Washington was the first thing. This other game that's coming down to the wire, we are tied at 16 with 2.22 left. And now we are down to the two-minute warning. The Pittsburgh Steelers may have trouble of brewing with the Detroit Lions. They're only at their own 26-yard line, but they have two minutes left. They have no wins on the season. They have the ball. The game is tied. Let's see if Jared Goff and company can get their first win of the season. This is where I wanted to go from that conversation. So obviously, if we're going to discuss football, let's discuss this first. Let's do this first. Good things come to those who wait. Over a month ago, Cam Newton came out and said that after being released from the New England Patriots that he was not interested in taking another job until it, quote, made sense. A lot of people thought that that meant that Cam Newton probably wouldn't play in the NFL again. And if he did, it would be more in a preseason backup role, unfamiliar about what he'll be doing moving forward. Fast forward to this week. And Cam Newton is back in the NFL. Cam Newton is back in the National Football League with the team that he began his National Football League career with, and that is the Carolina Panthers. 
following the injury to Sam Darnold's shoulder. Cam Newton has been brought in. I don't want to talk too much about what we expect to see from Cam Newton yet. Because I don't expect Cam Newton to be the same Cam Newton that he was when he was winning MVPs, when he was winning 15 out of 16 possible regular season games, blitzing through everybody in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl just to run into Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, and the rest of that Denver Bronco defense <laughs> led by Peyton Manning, of course. A depleted Peyton Manning, but still a Super Bowl winning Peyton Manning behind that defense. I don't expect Cam to be that Cam anymore. However, I do expect to see a different Cam Newton from the one that we saw in New England. Hopefully, hopefully, Cam Newton can have a Carmelo Anthony type story. Granted, Carmelo Anthony didn't have the exact same issues in terms of injuries and time off and things of that nature. Not initially, at least. The next thing I wanted to get to, since we're talking football, is obviously your hometown Las Vegas Raiders. Your hometown Las Vegas Raiders will play their third primetime game of 2021. Yes, the 2021-22 season has kicked off with a bang for the Raiders because the Raiders will be playing their third primetime game in the first 10 weeks of this season. They have Sunday Night Football tonight. I'm bringing you guys your story. They have Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs at Allegiant Stadium, 520 kickoff, NBC. I don't know what else you guys want. I don't. It takes place tonight at Allegiant Stadium. The Raiders right now are 5-3 overall. 1-1 one one in, in, in the AFC West in a division. They're second right now. The team that they're welcoming into the Valley tonight, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're 5-4. and 0-1 oh in the division. Kansas City's playing for second place. Well, let me not say that. Because in about five minutes, you will have the Los Angeles Chargers at home taking on the Minnesota Vikings. I do have the Minnesota Vikings in this one. It just seems like one of those games. Kirk Cousins in L.A., SoFi Stadium. I could see him having a big night or big day, I should say. But if we're talking about you and or well, I'm saying you and we're talking about the AFC West. This has been, and, and I've found it pretty interesting, actually. This has been a division that, as of late, has been ruled by the Kansas City Chiefs. But for about three-fourths of the season, this division is up in the air sometimes. So obviously with the Raiders holding a 5-3 record, the same identical 5-3 record 
as the Los Angeles Chargers. If the Raiders win and the Chargers lose, boom. Las Vegas is in first place. The Raiders lose, the Chargers lose. Bad news for the Raiders. The Raiders dropped three. It's not good news for the Raiders. Well, to be at all, not even the Raiders don't even need to drop the third if the Chargers lose as well. If the Raiders lose, they're in third. And keep in mind as well, guys, the Denver Broncos, they're right behind. They're at five and four. So this entire AFC West can shake up today. We are 10 weeks into the season. We are more than halfway through this NFL regular season. And this entire AFC West can be flipped on its head today. The Denver Broncos are hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, led by Jalen Hurts at 1.25 p.m. on CBS. Big game on the line tonight. Big games all around the league today for the AFC West. And just when I wanted to come in here and stop talking about everything that revolves around just drama when it's the Raiders, but you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. John Gruden, news broke this week that John Gruden plans to come out and sue Roger Goodell in the National Football League for the leaked emails that led to his resignation and probably what would have been his firing. Why do I want to talk about this? Here's why I want to talk about it. Because there's one way for John Gruden to prove that there were select that his emails were selectively leaked. There's one way. And the only way to do that is to detail and or release yourself. other emails that share your sentiment from anybody else. And this is why I wanted to pause here. Because he doesn't need to prove that it's a million people. He doesn't need to prove that it's a hundred people. He doesn't need to prove that it's ten people. He doesn't need to prove it as five people. All John Gruden and his legal team has to do is prove that it is one other guy, any other guy, gal, anybody. Who had similar terminology in their emails. 
And if that's the case, I don't know what's in store for Roger Goodell and or the NFL. Probably not much for the NFL. But Roger Goodell, I'm not sure. What happens if John Gruden points to people who are currently still employed in the NFL? Wait, I'll take it a step further. But have higher ranking positions than just a head coach. Why well, at a contract of 10 years, 10 million, or $100 million, John Gruden was more than just a head coach. Making personnel decisions. You know that you're, you're going through John Gruden. Now, if John Gruden proves that, I don't know, the McNair family for the Houston Texans had something negative to say about Colin Kaepernick. Was that a part of the 650,000 emails that the NFL decided to leak us the 17 from John Gruden or whatever the number was? All John Gruden has to do is prove one person shared those sentiments. All he has to do is prove that that person shared those sentiments and that the NFL knew about it. That's it. This is not the last that we're hearing of this. I expect to hear more. You guys should do the same. Look at these games that are finishing up around the league right now. Of course, the Cowboys close out their win. The Patriots close out their win. The Cowboys are now 7-2. The Patriots are now 6-4. The Washington football team closed out their win. Of course, all of these by the same scores. The Cowboys won 43-3 over the Atlanta Falcons. The New England Patriots won 45-7 over the Cleveland Browns. The Washington football team won 29-19 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All three of those teams won at home. Another home team that took care of business. The Tennessee Titans did allow a touchdown late against New Orleans, but was able to stuff them on a two-point conversion. They win their game 21-23. to They beat the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints dropped to 5-4. and four. Of course, they are without Jameis Winston for the rest of the year, who tore his ACL last week. Meanwhile, the Tennessee Titans led by Mike Vrabel. 4-1 at home, 8-2 overall. AFC South. Looking like you got to go through Tennessee. In addition to that, other games from around the NFL this morning as we have 1 o'clock games tipping off, or tipping off, kicking off, I should say. The Buffalo Bills added seven more points to their score. They are into the 40s. They have 45 points. They've hung 45 on the road at MetLife against the New York Jets. Mike White in offense and company, I should say, on offense have the ball. Two other games. One game is headed towards overtime and one game is not. The one game that I will let you guys know that is not headed towards overtime is the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. That game is now a six-point game after a made field goal 
for Indianapolis. They are now up 23-17 on the Jacksonville Jaguars. If the Jacksonville Jaguars lose, they will fall to 0-4 away from their home field. And lastly, that game that went into overtime. Taylor, I'm sorry. I know you're going through it at the house. I think Detroit gets their first win today. I don't even know if I picked them in the pick them group, but I will say, needless to say, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. We'll see if the Pittsburgh Steelers can close it out. They are headed to, into overtime right now with the Detroit Lions, not at 16. So two other things that I want to get to you guys on, and then obviously we, we can probably get out of here and, and rest up for Wednesday's show. I'll let you guys know what we're doing for Wednesday's show. It will be uh, just plans for it, just obviously plans moving forward. Uh, shout out to the Westgate. Um, obviously still working on the clubhouse, still uh, going through some 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 changes post-COVID. So we understand that some things are uh, in motion there. Speaking of in motion, it's looking like the Vegas Golden Knights are trying to find their groove right now. They had a huge offensive explosion last night. They beat the Vancouver Canucks here in Vegas. Now, this is where I'm going to pause, guys. I told you guys about everything that UNLV was doing. So now you have all of the sports that took place in Las Vegas yesterday. You have UFC Vegas 42, which we're going to end the show with. You have... UNLV the Lady Rebels, you have UNLV football, you have UNLV the Running Rebels, and then you close the city's night with the Vegas Golden Knights, no pun intended. The Vegas Golden Knights beat the Vancouver Connects 7-4. to four. They got seven goals from five different players. In addition to that, Captain Mark Stone returned for the Vegas Golden Knights. The team improved to 9-6 and six on the season. By the way, Jonathan Marshall saw and Dadanoff, and I need to figure out the first name pronunciation because I think I pronounced it wrong twice, and I'm not going to do it again. Dadanoff and Jonathan Marshall saw both recorded two goal games. Yeah, again, we already mentioned Mark Stone did return. The team still played without Alex Petrangelo. Or, excuse me, I, wrong name, Max Pacioretty, pardon the team has improved to 9-6 on the year. They are actually tied now for third place. Yes, guys. Yes, guys. Yes. Hold on. Hold on. They are tied for third in the Pacific Division. They have 18 points. They are actually two points out of first. They're a point behind second place and two points behind first place. And they will be right back in action on Tuesday. Still here from the Fortress, also known as the T-Mobile Arena. Yeah, I flipped that on purpose. Tuesday, 7 p.m., that is November 16th, 7 p.m. Puck drop from the Thomas, I mean, that from the T-Mobile Arena. Speaking of that, the T-Mobile Arena is a part of the Ninth Island. The Ninth Island dubbed that by Max Holloway. The man known as Blessed made his return to the Octagon after... He hasn't competed, I believe, since UFC Fight Island 7. And that was against Calvin Cater, where he absolutely put on the biggest. 
what is the I don't I, I have a word and it's it's not the word I want to use by no means only because oh this is this is lopsided UFC Fight Island 7 Max Holloway turned in the most lopsided UFC performance in history setting all kind of, all kinds of records throughout Only to deal with a Yair Rodriguez who was coming off of a layoff of two years, but you knew he would be game. This fight has been rescheduled, I think, at least once due to injury. And now they're, they're, they were able to get locked into that octagon here at the UFC's apex, that smaller octagon with limited fans. And Max and Yair did exactly what we expected them to do. They put on a fight of the year candidate. That first round? Guys, you guys may be surprised in, in, to, to find this out. Unless you watch the fight. Despite two years off, Yair Rodriguez won that first round. Body kicks, heavy body kicks. Making Max chase him, which is some, something that Max doesn't have a problem doing in terms of putting in volume and, and chasing after his opponent. Yair Rodriguez, as we saw with the Korean Zombie, can even be dangerous moving backwards. Really unorthodox style, whether it's kicks. We saw with the Korean Zombie, his elbow. There's different finish. He even caught Max with the same elbow, and Max is a zombie himself because he walked through it. the elbow right on the point of the chin and he walks through it from that point max continues to be maybe i shouldn't say that to start the fight it was volume versus strength it seemed as if as jair throwing punches and kicks and bunches max was appearing to do more damage with his shots though i personally gave the next three rounds to max hell i even kind of wanted to give him the fifth only because yeah your rodriguez had more of an output in that fifth round but wasn't able to hurt max in my opinion Shout out to Mike Hughes Jr. because he he actually, we were texting after the fight, and he agreed with me that Max didn't appear to get any, any damage in that fifth and final round. However, because of the damage that Max put on Yair in rounds two, three, and four, I can see a person still giving Max that last one due to him not getting much damage, even despite the output from Yair Rodriguez. However, one judge scored the fight that way, 4-1, to one, which would be 49-46 in favor of Max. The next two scored the fight 48-47. to 47. I think what was most interesting beyond all of that is that it kind of didn't matter to Dana White. 
And this is what I love about Dana because we don't get that issue with uh, Dana White when it comes to his sport. Because Dana's just as big of a fan as the, of the sport as we all are. And Dana saw exactly what we saw, and he said, quote, Yair's stock didn't drop at all tonight. Look for Yair Rodriguez to still be in some big fights coming up. Speaking of fights coming up, already looked at as the greatest featherweight of all time. Max Holloway at this point, especially after these last two performances, you would think that he is primed for another position or another featherweight title shot against the champion Alexander Volkanovsky, which would now be their third fight. I did give Volk the first fight. I did give Max Holloway the second fight. I don't know how eager the UFC is is to give third or give trilogy fights to guys that have lost back-to-back times or the first two times, I should say, already. We could talk about Chael Sonnen. We could talk about Jorge Masvidal. Let's see if he gets another one. We could talk about these situations. And yet, I think Max's situation is different. Yet and still, I think his situation is different. We're talking about the greatest at a division still fighting within the division. And one of those two fights, which would be the second one, was controversial in the way that it ended. A lot of people point to the reaction of Alexander Volkanovsky. Granted, he just fought 25 minutes for his belt. Whether he believed he had to win or not, hearing it could make a person react like that. So I don't want to fault him too much for that. But regardless of what we think, I'm not sure that Max Holloway is thinking that. Max Holloway is here to put on fights for the fans. And obviously he's talked about getting paid while doing so. Conor McGregor enters into the chat. These two have been trading social media barbs for, I mean, you can honestly trace that back for God knows how long, but it's really heating up now, especially with Conor kind of out of the lightweight picture, at least for right now, unless he wants the Michael Chandler fight. But with the way that this Max Holloway fight is, is gassing up, Conor may not have a wrong hand here to be dealt. But if Conor was to drop, down back or drop back down I say to featherweight a fight at 145 with blessed the blessed one that is Max Holloway I don't know that Max Holloway doesn't have one of those signature performances now What we saw last night from a Yair who was very unorthodox. 
I believe Paul Fielder said it after the fight, or maybe it was Michael Bisping. But they pointed out that Max was in a fight. Max is going to go home feeling like he was in a fight. Max is going to go home wearing the fact that he was in a fight. I say that to say that Max was moving forward that entire fight. We know Conor McGregor to move forward as well. It'd be a good fight. I'd be there. I'd be interested. I can't tell you guys much else aside from that. Games that are wrapping up around the league, 33 seconds to go, and then Buffalo will be set. Someone said seven. Six and three on the year. And unfortunately, Robert Sala and his New York Jets will drop to two and seven on the year following this game. And that game actually just concluded. Other game from this morning that did conclude while we were talking UFC. That is a final score. For the Jacksonville Jaguars and Indianapolis coach, the coach came away with a six-point win, 23-17, over the Jaguars, who are now 0-4 away from TIAA Bank Stadium. Four minutes to go in regular or in overtime, I should say. The Detroit Lions are at the Pittsburgh Steelers 30. And Pittsburgh just used the timeout. It's looking like a game-winning field goal with an opportunity to get your first win of the season. This is this is it. This is the moment. This is the make or break moment. I'm texting Taylor as we speak and she's going to see that when she sees it. However, while that is the one morning game that is winding down, Let's give you guys an update on all of the 1 o'clock games before these 125 games. We have two 125 games kicking off. We have, of course, both games that I mentioned to you earlier, or at least one game I mentioned to you earlier. The Denver Broncos are at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. And then you have my Green Bay Packers, who are undefeated at home, 7-2, and two, welcoming in a recently re-energized and reinvigorated Russell Wilson. We shall see what's going on with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks when they play the Packers in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has been cleared to play. These 1 o'clock games, one has gotten off to a fast start, the other not so much. We just had, I believe, a touchdown taken off the board here in Carolina. But if it does stand, the Carolina Panthers will be up two touchdowns on the Kyler Murray list. Yes, I said Kyler Murray list. Arizona Cardinals. In addition to that, your well, I shouldn't say York because I'm not in Los Angeles anymore. But the Los Angeles Chargers from SoFi Stadium are locked in a tieless or in a, excuse me, in a scoreless tie with the Minnesota Vikings. It's been a while since I had to do something like this. I'm proud that I did it. I'm happy that I did it. Let's get back to doing it if need be. Shout out to everybody on the team. Until Wednesday night, guys, keep on talking. <laughs>